We're reading from Isaiah next, in chapter 61. So, Isaiah the prophet, living several hundred years before Christ came into the world, and it's a, a prophecy about uh, Christ. So, Isaiah 61, beginning at the first verse. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So I want to talk today about the anointed of God, the anointed of God. And if you're from a church background, then you will be familiar with the word anointing. But if you're not, you might be able to work it out. Anoint might remind you of ointment. And that's the connection, ointment. Now we use ointment medicinally, usually. But in the Bible, there are, there are plenty of other uses uh, for anointing people with oils or something. Uh, so, for example, it would include those lotions and potions that you ladies spend billions of pounds on to try and make yourselves look a year younger, and some fellas too. And, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, there's a cosmetic use, isn't there? Um, in the Bible... It, sometimes it was a matter of hospitality, so that if it was appropriate, uh, visitors would be anointed by the servants, perhaps, when they visited someone. You may also uh, remember that people who had died were anointed, they were, they were uh, covered in oils uh, to, well, to offset the awful smell that comes with decay. But especially, most especially in the Bible, anointing is associated with something else. The anointing of God is when he singles someone out for his special favour or some responsibility, some special responsibility, the special recognition. It's not always the case that it's uh, people God especially likes or has a relationship with because Cyrus in the Bible, Cyrus uh, was called in Isaiah 45, the Lord said, here is my anointed. Well, that's strange. The guy was a pagan. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't one of God's people. But because God had singled him out for some use, in fact, singled him out to, to wage war, uh, God called him my anointed. So being declared anointed doesn't mean that they are people who are sort of righteous in God's eyes. 
oil in the scripture, especially. Oil as a connection to, well, it's used, it's got a connection with rejoicing and celebration. But uh, most especially, we found, we find in the scriptures that the greatest joy, the heights of joy that you can have, not that you will always have them, but the height of joy that it's possible to have in this life is through a relationship with God and through the Holy Spirit living in you. And that's why in the Bible, oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit very often. As oil is poured on your head, it's like the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is poured out on us. So I want to start by speaking about some examples of anointing with oil. I'm going to turn to certain scriptures and you can follow if you're quick. You can follow if you like or you can just listen. So the first example is where objects were anointed with oil. Objects, right. So we'll start in Exodus. See, look, I'm cheating. I've got them all marked out, so I just, it's easy for me. So, so in Exodus in chapter 30... Uh, Exodus 30, beginning at verse 25. Now, uh, Moses is being directed to get some ingredients together and mix them up, like Karen with her soaps, make them into this nice oil. And it says, verse 25, You shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, you shall anoint the tent of the meeting and the ark of the testimony. That's the ark, that's the box. That's this box associated with worship there. Um, the table, all the utensils, the lampstand, its utensils, and the altar of incense. And the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin it stands. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whoever touches them will become holy. So these are inanimate objects and they have been anointed and made holy. So you can see, let's not be superstitious. We don't believe that these objects changed. The table remained a table, it remained wood. It didn't change materially. But it was now set apart for God's use. That's the difference. Let's look at some people who were anointed. We're going to look at an example of a prophet, a priest and a king. So the prophet example is found in 1 Kings. 1 Kings and uh, chapter 19. 1 Kings 19 and verse uh, 16. It says, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ebal-Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. So there's an example of a prophet being anointed. Then the example of a priest. That's back in Exodus now, but chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. And verse, uh, starting at verse 12. 
Exodus 40, 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So the priests, and then a, an example of a king, we find that in First Samuel, in chapter 16. We obviously studied First Samuel in some depth, not so long ago. But First Samuel chapter 16, and verse 13. And uh, Samuel uh, meets uh, David. And the Lord had said to Samuel, this kid, now the brothers, were, the, the dad and the brothers were not even going to mention him. He's you know, just some little kid in the family. And as soon as he walked over, God said inwardly to Samuel, that's him. So immediately, Verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And so, why, why that example is interesting because we, we have the introduction there of that Holy Spirit connection. The Holy Spirit was poured out almost simultaneously with the, the pouring of the oil. So that there is that connection there. These kings in Israel were often called uh, the Lord's anointed. So let's just get this straight then. David's physical anointing symbolises a divine anointing. His physical anointing with oil symbolises a divine anointing by the Holy Spirit. So there's some examples of things or people anointed with oil. And we, uh, we're going to think now about Jesus, Jesus being anointed himself. So we're fast forwarding hundreds of years now. Jesus, the Son of God, arrives on this earth as a man. Um, now we call him Jesus, we call him Christ. Sometimes we call him Jesus Christ. And some people think Jesus Christ is like a first name and a surname. It's not, that's not the way it works. His name is just Jesus. If they go, well, which one? There's loads of them. They'll say, you know, Jesus, you know, from Nazareth. No? You know, the, that tradesman is lad. Jesus, oh, I know him. So that, that's how it was done. Now, Christ is not a surname. Christ is a title. Christ is a title. So... Uh, in fact, when, when, he, when, he, when they first started using the name, they called him the Christ. Jesus was the Christ. And then it became almost like a name. It did. But it, it's based on an Old Testament word, which you won't be interested in knowing about. But the, the Old Testament word, uh, Mashiach, is what we say Messiah. Messiah. So when you see the word Messiah, that's the same word as Christ. 
And Messiah means, believe it or not, not the important guy who's coming in the future. Messiah means the anointed one. That's what a Messiah means. So Jesus Christ means anointed saviour or anointed king and saviour. It turns out, it turns out that Jesus being anointed, um, he was anointed uh, to make him what we said before, a prophet, a priest and a king. A prophet, the Bible says, yes, he's a prophet, but he's more than a prophet. A priest, not just any old priest, but the high priest, the highest priest has ever been. And king, not just any king, but the king of all other kings, the king above all others. That's who Christ is. That's why he was anointed. And this uh, anointing, this uh, selection, if you like, this endorsement of Jesus was prophesied a number of times in Psalm uh, 2. We won't turn to it, but it talks about the world ganging up together to oppose God and his anointed. And then we find when we skip forward to... um, let me skip over to Acts. Now, in Acts chapter 4, and so it says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 26, it quotes Psalm 2. So this is obviously, well, this is nearly what, a thousand years later, thereabouts. And it, it quotes Psalm 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what what it's saying there is that the Lord's anointed in Psalm 2 was Jesus. That's identifying. We, We began today by reading from Isaiah. You know, this wonderful, wonderful, uh, powerful section from Isaiah. And that itself was mentioned by Jesus in Luke's Gospel. You look at Luke's Gospel in the fourth chapter. Luke chapter 4. And what happened here was Jesus was back in his hometown of Nazareth, gone to see friends or family. And, uh, but especially to, to carry on with his mission. And so it was the Sabbath day. So he went into the synagogue. So remember the temple was for worshipping, you know, with the sacrifices. But the synagogue was the place of, like this, te- a, teaching, a teaching place, you know. A place for discussion and teaching and reading. And Jesus goes into the synagogue. And he stood up to read, which was his right as a Jew. He stood up to read. And so they gave him this scroll. They had no books. There's a scroll. So he gets this scroll. And it was Isaiah. And guess what? It was Isaiah 61. He read from. And Jesus reads it out. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he quotes the, those few verses from Isaiah 61. And then he stops and he just rolls the thing back up, hands it back and sits down. 
And they're all watching him thinking, what, what's he doing? And, and so he says, today, this scripture is being fulfilled right in front of your face. He was referring to himself as the Lord's anointed, the prophesied one who was to come. If you turn over in Acts to chapter 10, we see there in Acts 10, we see in verse 37. Now this is Peter giving one of us like open air sermons, if you like, in the street. And uh, Acts 10, 37, Peter says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit, it says, and with, with power. And what was, the, what was the point of all this? The, the point of him being anointed was that his purpose coming into the world was to minister and then be taken and be killed. The death of Christ wasn't an accident. It wasn't a plan gone wrong. This was the whole plan from the beginning. He was to be the Lamb of God that would die for sinners. That end time sacrifice to end them all. And so it was that, well, for me personally, there I am walking through life doing what everyone else does. And then it was interrupted by God. And so it was that I began to be drawn towards God. And then I listened to preachers and read the Bible and read books. And I understood, I understood then that um, my sins were 2,000 years ago. All my sins were transferred to Christ. And so he became guilty. And so it was that he was punished as the guilty one. He was punished by his heavenly father instead of me. And since all my sins have been transferred to him, it means that Paul Forrest gets to go free. Paul Forrest is pronounced not guilty. And Jesus came to die for sinners, not just me, not just a few hundred people. Jesus died for untold millions of people throughout history and sure few people find themselves on the narrow road which leads to eternal life we know most people are on the other broad road which leads to destruction why because there's far more people sitting in the houses out there than are in here or another place of worship few people are on that narrow road which leads to eternal life few but that few is chosen by God and is special to him. Let's just think finally about God's people being anointed. So we've seen historically who was anointed. We've looked at Christ being anointed. Now let's think about his people. God's people who go to God and ask him for forgiveness of sins they receive an anointing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in them, it says. And it says in there, 1 John here. It says 1 John and the second chapter.
So this is addressed really to the church. 1 John um, chapter 2 uh, verse 20 says that you, the people in the church, you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. And then further on verse 27 says, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, lives in you, stays with you. That means, friends, that when we go to God with that repentant heart, the Holy Spirit is given to us and he stays. He stays with us. He lives in us permanently. And we know this is confirmed in uh, this is our this is the last one I will make you turn to Second Corinthians in chapter one. So Second Corinthians chapter one and verses um, twenty one. The apostle Paul, he's been saved. He was a he, met, he started off murdering Christians, and then he becomes a Christian, and then all his mates. Now hate him. And now he's public enemy number one. And he's been in and out of jail. And he, he says here in verse 21 of the first chapter. And it is God, he says to the Christians, it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we can see the connection there. We can see this anointing is tied in with the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And when someone is anointed by God, they are, in the eyes of God, something else. They become something else. They become something which is sanctified, something holy. <clears throat> now we've seen that Things can be anointed, so as daft as it sounds, that table I mentioned half an hour ago that was anointed with oil is holy unto the Lord. So although people think that holy means, you know, perfect. If I said to someone I was holy, they would say, oh, holy Joe, never sets a foot wrong. I remember you from the old days, and so on. But that holy just means that I have been Anointed by God, not because it was better than anyone else, absolutely not, the opposite. But God just chose me, anointed me, and set me apart as holy for his service. That's what it means. It doesn't mean Paul Forrest doesn't sin. It means I've been separated for the work of God. So that's what it means, made sanctified, made into this special thing that God wants to use an instrument, if you like. And since the Christian is now holy, or sanctified, or set apart, or anointed, however you want to describe it, that being the case, it's then their duty to make sure that their daily, hourly behaviour reflects that position that they are in. Because I alluded to earlier, I said, didn't I, that... We, we, we want to be this thing, we want to be sinless, we want to serve God, and we want him to be pleased with us, but inside there's this other thing dragging us back, wanting us to sin. 
And so there's this daily battle. And it's our job to, 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 to get stuck in and fight and make sure that our behaviour and our words and our thoughts matches what we are. We've been, you believers, you've been sanctified, set apart. You've been plucked out of mankind. You've been plucked out of the mass of mankind and you've been given this place of honour. You've been given divine authority. It's quite marvellous, really. It's quite a privilege. What happens when we're anointed? We become sanctified for God's use. Why? Why are we sanctified for God's use? What are we to do? Well, primarily, we are to glorify God. We are to glorify God. We don't glorify God like we would glorify a person, like some footballer or some uh, celebrity. Because they're sinners like us. God is perfect and he's the highest entity that there is, that exists. And the glory belongs to him. So when we say we glorify God, it's, it's like we're returning property that belongs to him anyway. That's all. We glorify, how do we glorify God then? Well, we glorify him, as I said, through our words. We watch what we speak. We make sure we, 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 um, we're gracious in the way we speak. The Christian can also glorify God in their work, workplace, college, um, uh, you know, self-employment, uh, voluntary work, um, whatever, whatever they find themselves, in other words. They are to ensure that they try to honour God by, by being people of integrity, being honest, being hardworking, and giving God the credit at every opportunity. We also glorify God in our witness. That means the believer's job is to tell other people whether they are interested or not is irrelevant, but we make the effort to tell people what the gospel is. That Christ died for sinners. We are sinners. So it applies to all of us. We tell them to go to God. And confess their sins. And be brought into his kingdom. And we also worship God. Through worship. We glorify God today friends. You glorify God. For as long as you kept. Focused on the scriptures being read. And hopefully explained adequately that is an act of worship listening taking an interest in this is an act of worship when i prayed and then you said amen if you were listening and you said yes lord what he said we agree with it amen then you've worshipped god and of course we worship god as well through singing and let us uh, make sure as we sing our final hymn now that we focus on the words uh, as far as we are able. Amen. <clears throat>